Worship leaders and worship musicians, do you want to know what makes a great band or great worship team? Let's talk about it. Welcome to Blueprint Sounds. My name is Nathan Smith. I want to tell you a story about an event that I played a couple days ago with one of the best bands that I've played with in a long time, and there's three reasons why this band was so good. But before we get to that, I want to give you something. If you go to my website, blueprintsounds.com, you can get access to my free guide called 25 Chart-Topping Arrangement Tricks. If you're a worship team that has a song you've been playing for a while but you wish that it had another gear, go to my website and you can get access to this guide. It gives you 25 great ideas for ways to make your arrangements more interesting. It gives you a couple sentences about why the trick works, and then it gives you a song from the radio so that you can hear the trick in action. Again, go to my website or click on the link nearby, blueprintsounds.com forward slash 25 tricks. All right, let's talk about this great band that I played with. So there was an event in my hometown called Hear the Glory. I'm from Eugene, Oregon, and Eugene is known as Tracktown USA, and we host the World Track and Field Trials. And just a couple days ago, we hosted what's called the Prefontaine Classic, named after Steve Prefontaine, a famous runner from the University of Oregon. Well, great athletes from all over the world come to run at Hayward Field. But the day after the Prefontaine Classic, we had some Christian athletes from all over the world, from Jamaica, Nigeria, and Australia, and all over come and give their testimony about their faith and the goodness of God. That was held at Matthew Knight Arena, which is where the University of Oregon men's basketball team plays. It's a very large arena, hosts a lot of different big events, and et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, I was hired to play acoustic guitar as part of the worship team. So here's the breakdown of the players. We had a synth player named Steve, keys player named Neil, Oscar the drummer, who was also our musical director, Kona on bass, me on acoustic, and my friend Matt on electric guitar. Some of these guys I've known for years and years, and some of them I had just met. So we get our charts together, we have practice, and we do the event, and it goes so well. It was so much fun. The band especially, you know, has that kind of glow afterwards. We're like, wow, that was really good. The band was really, really tight. Um, And let me tell you why that is, because not every occasion gives you the same feeling when you're playing with a band. But this one was special, and so I wanted to highlight a few things about what made this team so special. The first is, everybody knew their job. If you've followed Blueprint Sounds for any time, you know that I harp on the five elements of a full-sounding worship team. And they are the groove, the main rhythmic instrument, pads, holds, and arpeggios. Well, between the six players, we had all of those bases covered. And that's the first thing that this team did really well, was each person did their role and they filled it to the best of their ability. So let me take you through those. First, we have the groove. The groove is set by the drummer and the bass player together. And really the the nub of it comes down to the kick drum and the bass relationship. So that kick drum, that, that big punch that you get in your chest, that gives you this rhythmic fingerprint for the band for each song. The bass adds a note to that punch and they're meant to lock in together and play perfectly in time so that you get the punch of the kick giving you the groove and then you also get the bass giving you the note to go with the punch, right? It's the very bottom of each chord. Then of course you have the snare drum and the the hi-hat and all the rest of it. 
giving you all of the the extra in-between markers to make the groove sound distinct from one song to the next. So between the drums and the bass, your groove is taken care of. And Kona and Oscar did an amazing job. They were locked in. They stood right next to each other on stage, which pro tip, that's very, very important. Make sure that your bass player and your drummer are always standing next to each other. And that takes care of the first job. The second job is the main rhythmic instrument. And that was my job as the acoustic guitar player. The reason why acoustic guitar is good for that is it sits a little higher in the mix so you can hear it well. And I do the jangles, right? I do the uh, eighth notes and the 16th notes. And the acoustic has a nice sweet sound. So it's good for that that upper range um, to give energy and drive to a song. So on a lot of songs, I would be just, you know, wailing away on my uh, open chords while other instruments filled in around that. So that takes us to the next one, the pads. That's Neil on keys. Now, pads is not all that Neil did, but one of the things that the piano was great at is sustain, because they have that sustain pedal. So he picked really warm, pretty tones, you know, electric pianos and, and beautiful sounding pianos that he would fill in with wonderful color and give us this nice, warm bed to go along with the groove, right? To complement, it sits above the bass, but underneath the acoustic guitar. Next, we have the pads, and that was the, played by Steve. Steve has, you know, a keyboard, but he's got his synth patches, so he might be doing a synth, he might be doing an organ, but he's giving us that next layer above the piano, which has nice sustain, you know, he do long tones a lot, but they're more transparent, so they're not as thick as an electric piano, they're airy, and that's really, really important because it gives you that, that angelic, airy quality that the songs need. And then finally, the arpeggios, and that's done by Matt on the electric. Now, he didn't only do arpeggios, but one of the things the electric guitar is really good at is soaring above the band. So he would go up to, you know, fret five or beyond, and he would either play lead lines, he would play arpeggios, and with his reverb and delay and the distortion, it gives it that arena sound, which, of course, we were in arena, so we needed to fill it, and having that electric guitar just gives you that little extra polish, that extra melodic component above the groove that makes everything feel finished, right? Without the electric guitar, it's nice, but it doesn't quite feel polished and finished the way that it should. Now, that, those are just brief outlines of what each instrument did. That's not all that we did, but everybody knew their role. Everybody stayed in place. And let me give you an example of, of what happens when that doesn't happen. Let's take Kona on bass. So Kona, great bass player, knows how to do his job. And by doing his job, I mean playing root notes, you know, down and from open position to about fret five, the low end, you know, deep, activate the subs, hit you in the chest sort of thing. He also would come up and play solo, you know, he would do little fills up the neck and those sounded so good. But I've played with bass players who didn't understand what a bass was for. Either they played other instruments and they got they got bored with bass, so they would try and play it like a guitar. You know, you'd, you'd have a guy that's playing, and all of a sudden, he's up there soloing, and he's not doing his job like Kona was down on the open strings, no, down near fret three. So he's totally abandoned the low end, and so he's left the kick by himself, and all of a sudden, there's this giant hole in the music because the bass player doesn't want to be a bass player. He wants to go up and solo like an electric guitar player. Not good. What Kona did was he always made sure that the bass was covered, 
pun intended. He always made sure that he was down low doing his job, and he picked his moments where he would go up and add just the right fill, just the right thing. He'd step out a little bit, but he never left his post, right? Same thing with keys. This is really important for young keys players to know, is that Neil, who is an amazing keyboard player, plays all the time. He understands that the the keys can do all of the low stuff that the bass can do, and it can do all of the high stuff that the electric guitar can do. It's the king of the instruments. And yet, because we have a bass player, he didn't just clank octaves with his pinky and his thumb on his left hand. A lot of young players, when they practice by themselves, want the piano to sound full, so they end up playing everything. They, they chunk chords in their right hand, and they hit octaves in their left hand. And that's fine for when you're by yourself, because it does sound full. You're being your own bass player. But when you're playing with a group, well, you have a bass player. You don't need to keep doing that with your left hand. So Neil would play in the middle of his keyboard with his left hand. And because he can, because he's good enough, he would go and do fills with his right hand and just add the right texture up there in that upper range when it was called for. He knows how to play a song more than one way, right? If the lineup had been different, if there was no bass player, he would have gone down and played bass. But because we had one, he went up and did his job, which changed when the lineup changes, right? So knowing your role isn't just about doing one thing all the time. It's about knowing your situational awareness. Okay, I have a six people in this band. I'm going to have to do less or I'm going to have to move my spot to go and find space so I'm in the right moment. Does that make sense? I'll give you one other little example from the acoustic guitar. We were doing this Latin-inspired song, um, and there were, there were parts where the downbeat, I'm talking about beat one, you know, one, two, three, four, everybody was hitting chords on beat one. And as I was playing, I could feel myself getting lost in the mix. So I waited, let everybody else hit beat one, and I hit beats two and three. I did the same chords, really simple strumming pattern. I just waited until everybody else had gone, and then I filled in the middle of the measure. That's another part of doing your role. I was still hitting the same chords, but I wasn't chank chank lankin because that bridge section didn't need that. It needed something sweet in that little spot where there was no no chord happening at that moment. Again, it's about knowing what the song needs and moving and and finding your role there rather than just always doing one thing. So that's the first thing is that everybody knew what their role role was and they filled it. Number two is they knew when to step out and when to step back. Oftentimes you'll hear this called like the conversation that the band is having with themselves. So you know, when, when we're playing, we're just, everything's rolling. We'll hear Kona go up and hit a quick bass fill before it goes back and, and does his job down below. And we all give him what's called the stanky face. It's that, that was good. You know, you look over to him like, mm. oftentimes I'll go, woo. That's just us letting, letting the other musicians know, I saw what you did there. You know, like not everybody's going to pick that up. Not everybody heard that, but wow, that was so cool that you brought your musicianship and you did it in a tasteful way. I've also played with electric guitarists who think that every open space is their time to do a little fill or solo. That is not what you want because the world doesn't need another electric guitar solo. We want to hear a band, not just one guy soloing the entire time. And believe me, I've played with guys who solo the entire time. That's not what you want on your team. 
What you want is for everybody to have a chance for a home run. And that's what this band had. You know, sometimes it was sometimes it was the electric guitar on on thinner parts on you know when it, things came down and we were vamping sometimes i would step out and do some different stuff on acoustic neil would do you know little things on the the um, the keys just adding that that extra thing they're like ooh that was a nice thing whether it was steve on the synth whatever it was just those extra little bits that go beyond the page are really important because the page the music on the page is not the end point it's just there as the guardrails. It's like, hey, you need to change chords here, here, and here. Here we go. But they didn't put everything on there. It's up to the musician to play, to bring their musicianship to bear. Oscar on drums is a great example. So obviously he's our timekeeper, but he's so much more than that. Many people have complimented Oscar on this thing. Like, like, hey, when you do your fills, they mean something. I always know where I am in the song because of you. So if you've got like eight measures, Oscar will be doing his thing. He'll put a little fill on measure four. But at the end of measure eight, he talks on his drums to the point where you know that you're going to the chorus because he's taking you there. He's, he's leading everybody with his drums to the next section. And that has a way of tightening up the band to where everybody knows, oh yeah, we are absolutely on beat one right now. And he can do that in a lot of different ways. He has such a wide repertoire that it's not like he has one fill. He can crescendo, he can decrescendo, he can talk to you and tell you, hey, we're going to verse two right here, and this is what it should feel like. And he can do that without saying anything because he supports the song so much. Inside of those fills, there's room for all of his virtuosity. He'll pull something out that we're like, wow, I don't, I don't know how you did that. That was amazing. But it wasn't show-offish. It was still supporting the song, and that's what I that's what I mean by stepping out and stepping back. If he was just to thrash the whole time and show everybody that he can drum, that's not impressive. What's impressive is to play well with others and make a six-piece band sound good by coming out and then coming back in. Sometimes you just play the groove and, and keep it simple. Sometimes you do want to step out. But every one of those musicians knew when it was time for them to come out and time to step back. And that's the fun of it, is that the audience obviously is going to appreciate it. They won't be able to savor all of those little things because they're not professional musicians like we are, but we get to have that conversation on stage and it's so much fun. So that's the second thing. The first thing was everybody knows their role. The second thing is everybody gets a chance to hit a home run, but they also get to step back and watch other players succeed. But the third thing, and this was the difference maker, was how well we got along. And this is totally different than just playing the show. Because I've played shows with excellent musicians and, and had those first two components. They played together well, and we stepped back, we stepped forward. People did that, but there wasn't the heart connection that this team had. And here's how I know. You know, in between rehearsals, before it was time for us to, to go on stage, we had a you know a catered dinner, so we had sandwiches and wraps and, and veggies and whatnot. And as we were just having dinner together, getting to know each other, you know, some of these guys I'd never met before, there was that bond that was like, man, this is so fun to just get to meet you and get to hang out with you. Even if we weren't playing music, this would be fun. And that cohesion was really quick. It was really interesting to see how fast that happened. And afterwards, you know, we're still on a text thread together talking about how, how much fun we had and how fun the event was. 
But it's deeper than just, oh, that was fun. It was actually a spirit connection. We got to play music for the Lord and for his people. And it's on a different level than just some of the other gigs that I've done with other bands where, yeah, they were good musicians. I admired them, but I didn't have that heart connection with them. And actually, it was noticeable. My dad came to part of the, uh, the service, and he said afterwards, I could tell that you guys really liked each other, that you actually got along. It wasn't just, we're here to do the show. I mean, that's, that's what it was for, you know, was to get the goal accomplished. But he could tell that we actually enjoyed being around each other and each other's presence on stage. And again, there was no showmanship. We all brought our musicianship, but we were there to serve the song. We were there to serve the people, and we were there to serve the event and ultimately to serve God. And so because we had that same attitude, no one, no one was uppity. No one was, you know, too big for their britches. We were all just honored to be there, and we had a blast doing it. That third component, that's something that you, I don't know if you can plan. I don't know if Oscar planned it when he got all the guys together. I think God has to bring people together in that way. Oscar did the best job that he knew how, but I think, I think God smiled on that by, by allowing a group of guys to get together that really, really enjoyed one another. So here's my advice for you as a worship leader. You might not have all of those pieces. I certainly do not have all of those pieces every Sunday. This was a special occasion for me to play with a group like this. But I would challenge you to practice like that's going to happen in your life, like you will have the opportunity to play with a group like that. Because when I was in high school or college, I would not have been to the point in my musicianship where I could have played with those guys and not fallen on my face. There were some things I didn't know. I didn't know some Latin rhythms. There were some 16th notes that I, I, I knew the concept, but I didn't understand it. So I, I would have really struggled, probably wouldn't have even gotten called to play some of those lines. Now, because I'm older and I, I put in the work, I can play with those guys and enjoy myself and not fall flat on my face. Do that. It might be chord theory. You know, you might have to learn some jazz because we played some crazy chords. It might be 16th notes. And you might have to, you know, get into R&B and figure out some rhythms that maybe you're not so comfortable with. Whatever it is, you have to have that in mind. If there's a band that you see that inspires you, you're like, wow, they are, they are hitting hard. I wish I could play with them. Well, practice like you will one day, because one day you will. There's going to be so much music in your lifetime. You're going to play with so many different groups. Don't let yourself stop and play just to be good enough to play with the group that you're at right now, because it's very flexible. It's going to change over time. And you don't want to say in 10 years, oh yeah, I could have, if I would have put the work in, I could have played with that group, but no, I, I wouldn't now, or I couldn't now. Start practicing now to be on the level that you want to be so that you could share the stage with a group that was that fun. And that's my advice. Hey, I hope that video helps you. And again, if you need help with your worship arrangements, go to my website or click on the link nearby, blueprintsounds.com forward slash 25 tricks. Until next week, God bless and goodbye.